Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 16. Last week we started this chapter and we talked about how Paul was willing to get out of his own personal comfort zone for the spiritual welfare of the Corinthians. He didn't want to do what he was doing, but he did it for their spiritual benefit. From their side, we saw the importance of Christians having discernment and how these false teachers, these intruders, had crept into the church at Corinth and not only turned to Corinthian Christians away from Paul, but ultimately away from Christ and how he had unmasked them uh, towards the end of that passage last week when he called them out and basically said they are false apostles, uh, they are false teachers. Tonight what Paul's going to continue to do in this vein is he's going to now continue to do what he really doesn't want to do, but what he feels compelled to do, again, for the Corinthian spiritual benefit. And what he's going to do is lay side by side a comparison between he and the other apostles of Christ, the true apostles of Christ, and how they minister compared to how these false apostles minister. And so he's going to talk to us a lot about serving Jesus Christ. And so what I'd like us to think about here tonight is, what does serving Christ mean to you? What does serving Christ mean to you? And what may God want to speak to you about tonight in relationship to serving Him? The other main thing we're going to look at tonight is how our vulnerability or our willingness to be vulnerable uh, makes a huge impact on the effectiveness of our service for Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that tonight. So here's what Paul begins to do. He begins again in this passage to just basically share with the Corinthians how reluctant he is in engaging in this. He feels pretty silly. He feels pretty senseless. Because, you know, other times he said, look, I don't want to boast about anything other than Jesus Christ. I don't want to talk about anything other than the gospel. I don't want to glory in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. But again, because of these false apostles coming in and and really undermining Paul and his ministry and his apostleship, he has for, they have forced him to enter into this. So notice what he says in verse 16. I say again, let no one think that I am a fool, but if you do, then at least accept me as a fool, so that I too may become uh, uh, boast a little. He says, what I am saying with boastful confidence, I do not say the way the Lord would. Instead, it is, as it were, foolishness. Since many are boasting according to human standards, I too will boast. For since you are so wise, Corinthians, so perceptive, so prudent, put up with fools gladly. Uh, and, and basically what he's saying is, you, you already, I think, put up with fools, these false teachers. So why don't you put up with me a little bit if you consider me foolish as well. Then beginning in verse 20, through the rest of the chapter, basically what he's going to do is he's going to zero in on three contrasts or three areas of comparison between him and the way he seeks to serve and the way he ministers and the way these false apostles ministered. And it basically breaks down into three things that, that they did. They, they were, first of all, they were abusive. They were abusive spiritual leaders. Second, they were divisive spiritual leaders. And third, they were aloof spiritual leaders. Again, let me repeat that. They were abusive, divisive, and aloof. 
Notice what Paul says about them and how they treated the Corinthians beginning in verse 20. He says, for you put up with, literally, you, you tolerate, you endure with it if someone makes slaves of you, literally brings you into bondage or seeks to control you. That's what the false apostles were seeking to do. Then he says, you also put up with it if someone exploits you, consumes you, devours you. If someone takes advantage of you, defrauds you, captivates you. Literally, these are words in the Greek that were used for hunting and fishing. In other words, he's drawing a picture of these false teachers as sort of having bait out there and literally luring the Corinthians in, taking advantage of them. He says, you put up with with them if someone behaves arrogantly toward you. Literally, they, they just think that they're better than you and they make you feel really small. Then he says, you even put up with it if someone strikes you in the face. These false teachers, these super apostles that had come into the church at Corinth literally were physically abusing the Corinthian Christians. And Paul says, you put up with it. You put up with this kind of abuse. Why? We never treated you that that way. We were kind to you. We were gentle to you. We never took advantage of you, and yet you've now allowed these false teachers to come in and in a sense, you know, throw their spiritual weight around and treat you terribly. Why are you doing that? Well, folks, we all know that this wasn't just an isolated problem in the days of Paul and Corinth. We know that this still takes place today. There are still spiritual leaders, so-called spiritual leaders, all over the world who literally just browbeat people all the time. Just beat them up. Just make them feel absolutely awful. I've been in services where I've literally walked out of a church service because of the, the way the pastor or the minister was talking to his flock. I mean, this, this takes place all over the place. And Paul is saying, so you're not putting up with me anymore. You've allowed these people to come in and influence you to get away from me, even though we never did you any wrong at all. And yet they're abusive to you. And you're putting up with it. It just reminds us of when people aren't grounded in Christ, and they're in a good place spiritually, how they will let other people, in a sense, even those in spiritual leadership positions, mistreat them and get abused. And we know many people, many Christians have been hurt and injured by spiritual leaders who have overstepped their bounds of authority and used their position and their privilege of of influence to, instead of serving others, and encouraging them, and and trying to help them, they beat them up. And so one of the takeaways, I think, for us is simply this. We have to make sure that whenever we're serving Christ, that we're treating others around us who are serving with us in a Christ-like way. And that when we're serving Christ, if there are people, in a sense, underneath our leadership that we make sure that we are treating them gently, lovingly, 
tenderly. And in no way are we beating them up, taking advantage of them, exploiting them, uh, verbally and maybe even physically abusing them. This is not the example that Jesus Christ left. And so Paul is simply saying, here it is, Corinthians. Here's the way they're treating you. Here's the way we treated you. And you're telling me that you're turning your backs on us and you're opening up yourselves to them even though they've been abusive to you. The second thing is they've been divisive. Because they were Jews, they were using their Jewishness to actually divide the body into the haves and the have-nots. And again, this problem also is not limited to Corinth and to the days of Paul. Notice in verse 22, well, I'm gonna, I, I didn't read this verse. Uh, let me go back to verse 21 and pick it up there. He says, to my disgrace, I love what Paul says. He's a little sarcastic, isn't he? He says, to my disgrace, I must say that we were too weak for that. In other words, we were too weak to treat you like they treated you. Because remember, part of the undermining of Paul was, he's weak. We're strong. And yet Paul's saying, yeah, you're strong, right? You're so strong that you're making these people feel awful. You're taking advantage of them. You're exploiting them. You're abusive to them. If that's what strength in Christ is, then Paul says, I don't want any parts of that kind of strength. I'm too weak for that. And Paul's going to continue to talk about weakness. We're going to get back to that in just a moment. So then he says, but whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking foolishly. I also dare to boast about the same thing. Again, simply because I'm not going to hold back because you need to hear this. Once and for all, these people need to be unmasked for who they really are. And you need to be confronted with the clear contrast between the way they're treating you and the way we treated you when we were in Corinth. So then he says in verse 22, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. And what Paul's basically saying is, they came into Corinth and basically said, we're better than you all. Because see, in Corinth, they're Gentiles. That's, that's Gentile territory. And these Jewish people had come into the church at Corinth and basically played the Jewish card and said, well, you know, you'll never be as good as us because we're Jews. And Paul's like, well, you're no better than me, but I never used my Jewishness. I never used the fact that I was a Hebrew I never used the fact that I was a descendant of Abraham to somehow be divisive in the body of Christ because didn't Christ teach us just the opposite? That Jew and Gentile are to be one in his body and we are not to use anything in a divisive manner to divide the body of Christ into the haves and the have-nots. And obviously this doesn't just apply to Jews and Gentiles. Today, this down through history continues to take different uh, ways it morphs itself in the body of Christ. Certain people down through, even in Corinth, one of the reasons why Paul spent so much time in 1 Corinthians talking about spiritual gifts was because the Corinthians used certain spiritual gifts to separate the body into the haves and the have-nots. Oh, you don't have the gift that I have, and my gift is more significant than yours. 
And Paul's saying to them in 1 Corinthians, aren't all these gifts by God's grace? Isn't the very idea of a spiritual gift of His grace, it's not something we earn or deserve. And isn't it supposed to be used to build up the body, not to divide the body? And, And isn't there the idea that in Christ we're all equal as far as that goes? And there should be no division in the body between the haves and the have nots. And yet today, we still have that sickening, sort of satanic environment that exists in the body today amongst Christians who will flaunt their experiences and flaunt their gifts and flaunt their role. And basically they use it to divide the body into we're the haves and you're the have-nots. And you either need to get what we have or else you're not as valuable or significant or else somehow you just need to finally just, you know, reconcile with yourself that you're never going to be what we are because here's what we have and you don't have it. And Paul's basically saying, again, where did we learn that from Christ? Serving Christ is never to be abusive and we are never to serve Christ in a divisive manner where we divide each other. True servants of Christ will seek to bring people together and unify them. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Not dividing people. And we get so divided over things and we allow that, that spirit that really comes from, from Satan to, again, cause disunity and schisms and division in the body rather than bring us together in unity. And Paul said, when we were with you in Corinth, we sought to unify you and bring you together. We didn't seek to to elevate ourselves because we were apostles and make you feel any less. Remember what Paul said in another passage? He said, how can the foot say to the hand, I don't have any need of you? Aren't we all to complement each other rather than to compete with each other in the body of Christ? And how can one Christian say that, that somehow they're more significant or valuable or of greater worth than everybody else? We all have our part to play in the body of Christ. And we're all significant. And we are all of worth. And we are all of value in the body of Christ. And then Paul again talks about their aloofness in a way by starting to talk about, again, not wanting to, but giving us probably the longest list of things that he encountered in serving Christ, beginning in verse 23. And notice the question he asks, are they servants of Christ? That's something we need to think about. What does serving Christ mean to us? And what may God want to speak to us about as far as serving Him? By the way, the word servant here means one who runs to carry out the desires of Jesus Christ. One who runs to carry out the desires of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, are they servants of Christ? See, again, they use their position 
not to serve. When they came into Corinth, they used their position of authority to be served. In their minds, leadership wasn't servantship like Jesus taught. It wasn't taking on the form of a servant and wrapping that towel around him like he did on the night in which he was betrayed and literally went around and washed his disciples' feet, including Judas, and left us an example of what true, humble service was to be about. Even he said, the Son of Man didn't come to serve or be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. His whole life was spent serving And yet Christians, again, down through history from Corinth on, think that when they get into a position of serving and any kind of role or position or leadership, that gives me now the opportunity for people to serve me rather than to continue to serve them. And God teaches us in the Word that I don't care what position we ever have, however high we go, We are always to be loving servants. If Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, came to serve, then we need to spend our lives serving and figuring out what it really means to serve Jesus Christ. So notice what he goes on to say. He says, I'm talking like one out of my mind, literally insane. He said, I'm even more so with much greater labors. And now he's going to begin to sort of count off the things that he's endured in serving Christ. Labors with far more imprisonments, with more severe beatings, facing death many times. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with a rod. Once I received a stoning. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I spent adrift in the open sea. I've been on journeys many times, in dangers from rivers, in dangers from robbers, in dangers from my own countrymen, in dangers from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the wilderness, in dangers at sea, in dangers from false brothers, in hard work and toil, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, Many times without food, in cold and without enough clothing, apart from other things, there is always daily the pressure on me of my anxious concern for all the churches. Now again, Paul isn't laying this all out to say, look at me. What he's saying is, this is what I encountered in being a servant of Jesus Christ. Because One of the things Paul's saying here is, look, a person isn't a servant of Christ just because they've lived a hard life. Many people lived hard lives and encountered all, you know, things like maybe Paul did. That didn't mean automatically they were a servant of Christ. And one of the things that Paul is pointing out here is this. He didn't have to live this way. The things that he encountered that he's listing here was because he chose to do those things. If he wanted to live a much easier life, he could have. But because he was willing to truly be a servant and place himself at the disposal of his Savior and say, Jesus, whatever you want, I'm willing to do 
That's why he encountered what he did. You see. And Paul's simply saying, okay, you look at the life that we as apostles lived and the service that we were, the suffering, the sacrifice, the cost that we were, and then you compare these guys who come into Corinth who are aloof, who are detached, who are cold, who, who are sitting around waiting for you to serve them. Do I need to say more, Paul's saying? Abusive, divisive, and aloof. And we were just the opposite. And when you read this list, one of the things, obviously, we have to say is, how could Paul live that way? How, how could he live to that extent as a servant of Jesus Christ? Because Paul died to self. Remember what he said to the Galatians? Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I, I'm crucified with Christ. I died to self. So that whatever my Savior wanted, I did. I ran to carry out his desires. And notice that those desires brought about a lot of suffering and sacrifice and a price to be paid. And here's, here's, where, here's where the rub is in our day, just as it was in Paul's day. We have many Christians. Well, I'll start with this. It was once said, many people want to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Many Christians want to serve Christ, but they don't want to suffer sacrifice. And Paul is laying out for us here in this passage, do you really want to serve Christ? Do you really consider yourself a servant? Because unlike what the world and even what is taught in the church today is, if you give your life to Jesus and, and, and you have enough faith and you truly live for Him, then you won't have to suffer. You, you won't have to sacrifice. You won't have to pay a price. He'll meet all your physical needs and you'll have everything you want and you'll never be sick a day in your life and you'll never have to go through any kind of trials or tribulations. And Paul would say, really? Really? Look at my life. I laid it all out for Jesus and look what I had to endure. Was my life easy? Was my life comfy? No way. And Paul's basically saying to the Corinthians and to every Christian who will listen since Paul, do we really understand what it means to serve? Because it's almost like we want to serve God, but we want to serve Him at our convenience. We don't want it to cost too much. We don't want to sacrifice too much. We certainly don't want to suffer. So there's going to be there's going to be a line where it starts to get too hard and we back off. And that's why it's hard to get a lot of Christians today to really serve. Now, I want to say something. I want to praise where praise is, is due and commend where it's, it's right to commend. I have never been around a group of people like you all here at the Oasis who are true servants and who have a heart to serve. 
So I, I want to say that. This, this in no way is meant to make you feel bad in your serving. But it is a challenge, I think, to all of us to go, but what's God want me to do with that? And how does that affect my service? And maybe even, maybe I'm even getting weary of serving. And it's like, when I'm confronted with this, it's like, no, you know what? I need to get back into the presence of God. I need to let God fire me back up. And I need to get back in there. I don't need to quit. There's too much to be done. And I want to spend the rest of my life sacrificing my life for the Lord Jesus. And if it costs me something, so be it. I really want to be a servant of Jesus Christ. And so we've got to get past that fact where we're willing to die to self in order to sometimes experience discomfort and suffering and inconvenience and all that when it comes to truly being a servant of Jesus Christ, like Paul did. But then there's something else at play here, too, and this is big as well when it comes to serving. Continue reading with me as I go into verse 29. Who is weak and I am not weak? Paul's talked about this a lot in this passage. Remember, because the super apostles came in and said, we're strong. Paul is weak. He can't speak very well. He doesn't look impressive. Man, he, he serves all the time. He's always doing things for other people. That's weak. The person who's in control and strong and powerful is the one who calls the shots and tells other people what to do. Paul says, no. I'm just following the example of my Lord. If he was weak because that meant he served, then I'm weak too. But notice what Paul goes on to say. Who is led into sin? And I do not burn with indignation. I get fired up. And you've been led into sin, Corinthians, by these false teachers. And so that's why I'm so fired up. If I must boast, I will boast about the things that show my weakness. Oh, we're going to stay here for a minute. If you take no other verse from this study of 2 Corinthians 11, meditate on 2 Corinthians 11.30. Paul says, if I'm going to boast about anything in my life, I'm going to boast about my weakness, my frailty, my fragileness as a human being, my, even my vulnerability. Sorry, I'm going to have to put my Bible down. Here's why that ties into service. Because somewhere along the line in Christian history, in the church, we adopted the worldly mentality. We've allowed ourselves to be conformed to the world, which Paul says in Romans 12, we should never allow, allow the world to put its put us into its mold. And the reason I say that is because somewhere along the line in the church, in Christianity, this idea came about that I've got to have my act together and I've got to, I've got to appear as if I've got no chinks in my armor at all. I, I've got to appear as if I'm on all the time and I, there is no way within the body of Christ that as I serve that I could ever fail or make a mistake. And that's another reason why many Christians won't serve. 
Because they have been in an environment where if it doesn't appear that they've got everything in their life together and that, that they're just on top of it all the time and they never have a bad day and they're never struggling with anything and certainly that they can't fail at anything, that's the only way I'm going to ever be qualified to serve in the church because I've served in church before and, and when I did fail or make a mistake, boy, did I hear about it and I got beat up. And so like the turtle going back into the shell, I just retreated. Because I don't want any parts of that. And if there's any place in the world where a person should be able to serve and fail and make mistakes and not always be on and not always be at the top of their game and not have everything together all the time, and struggle with things. It should be in the church, in the body of Christ, where there is grace and forgiveness because we are weak and we need to acknowledge we're weak and we need to stop allowing our weakness to keep us from serving. Because I guarantee you, if I was to take a poll of even people at the Oasis and they were to be honest with me, because I've been in ministry long enough and talked to enough Christians to know this is true. Do you know the number one reason why most Christians won't serve very much or at least won't go past the level that they're serving now? For this very reason. They don't think they're good enough or qualified enough or trained enough. I've even had people criticize me here at the Oasis for putting people through the years of the Oasis in leadership positions that should have never been put in leadership positions because they didn't have enough experience. They didn't have enough training. They've made mistakes. And I just looked at them and I said, really? Jesus spent every day with 12 men for three years. Did they not still make mistakes even trained by Jesus? Somehow we expect us as brothers and sisters in Christ to somehow, the only way we can serve Jesus is by, you know, having this unrealistic expectation of who we're supposed to be and who we think others are supposed to be. And again, I go back to what Paul even questioned them. I said, are we servants of Christ or are we serving other people? Because if we're servants of Christ, where does it say in the Bible where Jesus says, okay, you, you, you better not show any weakness. You better not ever show your frailty or fragileness or vulnerability. Because if you do, I'm done. No, over and over again, the message of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is that God used broken people who never had it all together. Even people that we always, as Christians, when we read our Bibles, we put these people up on pedestals and we talk about them in glowing terms and we just think that they were superhuman. And I'm not taking away what they did by faith for God. But as James even said about the great Elijah... He was a man just like us. He put his pants on one leg at a time. He struggled with the same things we struggled with. You ever struggled with depression as a Christian? Well, join Elijah. He was struggled with depression. 
Noah, oh yeah, he had too much to drink. Abraham, yeah, he slept with somebody other than his wife. Moses, yeah, he murdered somebody. David, yeah, he slept with some people too. Had Uriah. I mean, we could go on and on. And, and, and again, I'm not here to somehow glorify their sin. And I'm not here to say, you know, we shouldn't be growing and that we shouldn't be maturing and that we shouldn't be allowing the power of God to change us. That's not what I'm saying. But we've got to get past the mentality that somehow I can't show my weakness to my brothers and sisters in Christ because that won't be acceptable to serve God. Because Paul says, if I'm going to boast about anything to you, Corinthians, it's going to be how weak I am. Because Paul struggled just like we all do. And yet Paul didn't allow his weakness. Because what we're going to learn in the next chapter is that Paul realized something. When I'm weak, he's strong. And instead of me trying to make it look like I've got my act together and, and I've got everything together all the time and there's no chinks in my armor and I don't ever struggle with anything and I never have a bad day, I've got to learn to acknowledge it and release it and admit it and let God work through my weakness rather than me trying to make me look like I'm not weak. The whole reason God gets the glory for our service is when all of us recognize we're all weak. And without Jesus, we can do nothing. And it's only when Jesus is working through us that things happen. And so I'll just say to all of you tonight, I'm weak. I struggle. I have bad days. I wrestle with things with God. I don't have my act together. And I'm far from where I need to be. And I've got to keep growing just like we all do. But it's when we are comfortable enough with one another. And where the environment that's being built is healthy enough and safe enough where we're all willing to say that to one another so that there's not this, again... This air that I'll never be able to serve in that church because I just, I'd have to be perfect. I, I couldn't think some of the thoughts that I think and say some of the words, I, I'll never be used. Now, the message in the Bible when it comes to serving God is God always uses imperfect people. Now, the Bible certainly teaches God also wants to use vessels that are fit for the master's use. And we need to be willing to be obedient and follow the Lord. But even in that, we're going to fail. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to be weak until we lay this flesh down. And so don't allow your weakness that we all share as human beings to keep you from serving. Because if you allow your weakness and struggles to keep you from serving, you'll never serve. You'll never serve. And you'll never reach the potential. 
And you'll never see God work through you like God wants to work through those weak vessels. Remember what Paul said? He said, we have this treasure in clay jars or clay pots. 2 Corinthians. So that the power would be from God and not from us. And then Paul, or close with this, recounts the very first incident in his life after he became a believer of how God delivered him in such a humble way. And what a contrast between the Saul of Tarsus who would march into cities with probably fire coming out of his mouth, throwing Christians into prison and, and, and just taking over. And now, as Paul, the humble servant of Christ, look what happens. Verse 31, The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows I am not lying. And in Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to arrest me. But I was let down in a rope basket through a window in the city wall and escaped his hands. God wanted to teach Paul really early on, because this was really soon after his conversion. Okay, Paul, you're my servant. You're not going to just be marching into cities, taking over and... No. Every once in a while, you're going to have to humble yourself and be let out by a basket and let me preserve you. And here's what I want to leave you with, though. As you read down through the list of everything Paul went through, here's something else that comes into play. Not only did Paul choose this life because he didn't have to live at this sacrificial level. He could have chosen a much easier life. He did choose that because he had died to self. But I also want you to notice something else. In everything that Paul went through, notice everything that people tried to do to him, and I'm sure Satan tried to do to him. Notice that he was invincible until God was finished with him. Notice that nothing, God preserved him through the shipwrecks and the stonings and the lashings and the beatings and the riots and the imprisonments and all that. God was with him and nothing happened to Paul until God said, Paul, now it's time to come home. Your ministry is finished. Which again reminds us, if we put our lives in God's hands and we say, okay, God, I'll be your servant. It doesn't mean we might not suffer and, and go through some, some things that's really going to cost us and, and, and sacrifice and all of that. But God's going to be there and nothing ultimately is going to happen to us because God won't let anything happen to us until it's our time to come home. We are invincible until God says, come on home. Come on home. The king couldn't touch him. Kings couldn't touch him. The authorities, the greatest authorities of this world, even in the Roman Empire, couldn't touch Paul until God finally said, Paul, it's time to come home. And God wants to encourage us through Paul's life of service to say, you serve me? No, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It might not be easy all the time. It might be hard. It might be hard. But no life will be more fulfilling and satisfying no life will be eternally more worth it than truly being a servant of Jesus Christ and dying.
to self. Let's pray. God, I pray tonight for these folks here in this room. I love them, and I know you love them way more than I ever could. And you have a plan and purpose for their life, and part of that plan is to serve you. That, that's, that's how we exercise as Christians, is through service. That's one of the major ways we exercise. Work out our faith. Work out our salvation. Grow is through service. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that these folks have been encouraged, not discouraged by this passage of Scripture. And, Lord, I especially pray for maybe some of those folks in this room tonight who have held back in serving you, or maybe even at one time in another church setting or another ministry setting, they did fail. They, they did make a mistake. They did fall on their face. They, they, they did show some vulnerability, and they got hammered for it. They got beat up for it. They got treated in a very unchristlike way, and that, that caused them to retreat back into their shell and say, if that's what serving Christ is all about, I, I don't want any parts of it. Lord, I pray that we as Christians would create safe, healthy environments for your children to serve in. Where Christians don't have to feel like they always have to have everything all together and they can't ever have a bad day and they can't ever struggle with anything. Where they can't show they're weak and vulnerable. Because we all are, if we're honest. And help us, Lord, to, instead of trying to cover up our weakness or somehow make ourselves strong in our own power and strength, Help us to do it the biblical way. Help us to acknowledge and admit how weak we are and to just bring our brokenness and our broken lives and our weakness to you and let your strength take over. And let you work through this weak flesh, these fragile, frail human beings who struggle so. And Lord, if people do make mistakes, if they do fail, instead of us coming along and kicking them and beating them up over it, help us to be the kind of Christians that puts our arm around them and says, hey, we'll get it next time. Let's pray. You keep doing what you're doing. We all, we all have to grow. We all need to be allowed to make mistakes and fail as we grow. So Lord, help us to create that. Not only in our lives and to allow ourselves that, but help us, Lord, to allow others to do that as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. We'll see you on Sunday.